Do you, you never have notes. Thing. Are you going to use these? Yes. Okay. Me, just, don't you tell me what to do. I'm not. Who's I'm just trying to make pastor? sure. Just trying to make sure. Who? Jesus Christ. Okay. After that. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A show from Sandals Church and Pastor Matt Brown, where we are answering tough questions, uh, bring it real answers, tough questions. Yeah. Oh, Seriously. Wow. Every week. I listened to myself screw it up three times last this morning just to try yeah. and get pumped up, and then- I think that- I just get so opposite. excited. Just get so excited. Do you excited. feel like I'm putting too much pressure on you? Yeah. I think it's also, I'm putting it on myself. Mm. Okay. Did that guy in the office yesterday who was interviewing for the new Debrief lead, did that, <laughs> did that bother you? <laughs> Should we have not told you about that? Should we have not told you? He had a lot of he had a lot of spunk. I'll yeah. give him that. He I'll nailed that. that. He nailed that line. Exactly. Yes, yeah. he nailed it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, hey everybody, I'm Justin. It's been a great run. Here I am with my pal Supersport. Hi guys, I'm Stephanie Schaefer. Indeed, we got PMB the yes. Cardinal right here, mm-hmm. and our special guest. Yes, Delector. Dex Alexander Delector. Well, Thanks for having me. Indeed, mm-hmm. it's exciting. We're glad to have you here. Yeah. You want to say anything about your beautiful friend? You guys have been friends for a long time. Not only is Dex on staff. Well, we've, we've been friends and not been friends for a long time. Been, okay. You've known each other for a long time. Yes. We, that's we've been acquaintances. Clear. Yeah. Are yeah. you are you on or off right now? We are super on. on. Okay. Super on. Yeah. Yes. We <laughs> love each other. Deeply on. Yeah. Well, My awesome. insecurity could not handle the talent of Deg. Dex, Deg, mm-hmm. Dex. Uh-huh. See, now it's rubbing up on me early on. In our, I'm sorry in for bringing my failure to the no. show today. And no, my, I, and I my sin couldn't handle a truth teller. Oh. <laughs> there it is. So, wow. In the midst of that, we work through all of those things. Yeah, and we're friends now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I actually love him and his wife and his children. Yeah. That's great. That's he does. Great. He's taken our he children to the movies, most of which that time was spent uh, in the restroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's what happens. With well, small kids. I, yeah, he didn't tell me that his son was afraid. What movie was it? Zootopia or Zoo? <laughs> yeah, there's a scary scene in that movie. Yeah, like you, you, you forget how scary movies are to yeah. children. Yeah. And so I hear in the middle of the movie, Pass the man, Pass the man. <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> I'm like, I am not going to tweak this kid for the rest of his life and make him sit through this film. So yeah. we were in the lobby. Yeah. They actually gave us our money back. The manager. That's, That's awesome. You could uh, throw that down and pick up some candy and then yeah. just be super passionate. Yeah, and then we played video games. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, Perfect. Win. Perfect. Yeah. You rally. Zoe made it, though. She made it through the whole movie. Did you just leave her in there by herself? Uh, Tammy was in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was our whole family. Okay. And like literally, Zeke was like as far, because he didn't want to sit, he wanted to sit by Ethan, mm-hmm. which is my son. Yeah. So he's like eight rows down. <laughs> but boy, this is a scary scene. He abandons everybody. He goes <laughs> straight I'm to me. I'm going for the leader. Like he's time. crawling over yeah. bodies. Pass it, Matt. Pass it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we first tried to cover his head because I thought maybe if he just can't see it, but yeah. then he wanted me to cover his eyes and his ears. Yeah. And then he wanted me to bury him beneath the seat. <laughs> I was like, let's just go. <laughs> yeah. Let's just go. Yeah. You're better than me. I just forced him to watch it. Yeah. Stop crying and watch you it. You just pull his eyelids back and just <laughs> oh, point yeah. him at the screen. Oh my gosh. Oh, no, man. that was a freaky scene in that movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 I know. It's yeah. all good. Like where a rodent died in a limo or something. Yeah, I don't exactly. Know it's, the limo, it's the yeah. limo scene. It's the oh, Every, yeah. Everyone knows. Yeah, there's a yeah. Yeah. I call that life lessons. Yeah. <laughs> Life lesson, son. <laughs> Listen, son, animals are slaughtered inside limos. Yeah, that's with... why you don't get in a limo. Right. <laughs> with oh a rodent. Yeah, well. I have not been in a limo in a long time. Okay. Mm. Well, we can think about that. Maybe yeah. we'll do something special is, for our next live recording. For, for the next for debrief help? live. Yeah, exactly. No. I was, I was telling my wife the other day, I was telling her, I said, if I'm ever super rich, I'm never going to drive anywhere again. Mm. I'm going to have a driver. And then Tammy goes, 
yeah, that sounds so cool. I go, you already have a driver that takes you everywhere you want to go. His name is Matt. I've been driving you for 20 years. She's like, it's a good thing. Literally, we have defined roles. I keep us safe and get us to whatever destination, and she sleeps. Yeah. That's what she does. That's a great That's her role. Win, yeah. win. Yeah. Boom. Yes. Well, let's let's do a podcast. Let's yeah. do a podcast for now. Uh, you, we kicked off this series on uh, race called Others this last weekend, and we are going to go uh, uh, deep into that. We've got a ton of questions on what it looks like to tackle race and diversity as Christians and the church. But before that, we got some cool news, because in your sermon, you talked about um, the temple, going to Israel, and invited a lot of people to go along with that. So some of you guys may want to go to Israel with Pastor Matt. That's right. So if you heard Pastor Matt talk about this that this weekend, and you want to travel to Israel with Pastor Matt, which you do, trust us. If you're like on the fence, you want to go on this trip. It's going to be incredible. We have got some info sessions coming up for that. They're happening at a bunch of our different campuses. I think this weekend's is at our East Valley campus. You can just go to sandalschurch.com slash travel. You can see all the info sessions that are coming up. You can join the interest list and get an email every time something new happens. We would love to have you, as many of you guys as possible join us on that trip. So make sure to check that out at sandalschurch.com slash travel. And we'll throw that link in the show notes as well. And before we jump into these questions, we've got a five-star review. We got, we've got to share with you guys from the iTunes store, this five-star review says Taco Tuesday is better with the debrief from mm. Claude Rod. I found the debrief is a great gateway to Christianity for friends and family who are hesitant of attending church or having real conversations. I've been able to share the podcast with friends in other states and they love PMB. What's up friends in other states? <laughs> and so as a result of the debrief's approach to tough questions, my friends and family who are disconnected from God have been able to connect with our church through the available podcast and find their way back to God. Thanks Pastor Matt and the debrief team for all you do. That was a great review. That was yeah. awesome. It encourages me. Mm-hmm. You're welcome for the part that says the debrief team. Yeah, did you hear that? So those five stars reviews really encourage Pastor Matt. So make sure to send those in on iTunes. We're going to throw a link to that in the show notes as well so that you can do that as easily as possible. Yes. That's right. And uh, so let's jump into some questions. We're going to disappoint you guys. We are not doing any follow-up questions. Last (laughs) week was our our sex show, Sex Ed or whatever, Mm -hmm. our most popular podcast in the first week ever so far. Oh, yeah. Uh, Really? Oh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. People are into sex. People are having some yeah. sex. Yeah. <laughs> well, they want to figure out you. if they can or not. Yeah, maybe some of you shouldn't be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> trying not to, but they're also trying to. So. Yeah. Side, side note, after services here at Hunter Park, I had two elementary age children uh, after different services said, hey, I love you on the debrief. Normally, I feel great about that, except yeah. for last after last week's episode. I was like, oh. Well, cool. maybe they learned some important things. Cool, to Chase. For thanks, for, thanks for, thanks for <laughs> cool, listening buddy. to the show, Chase. But yeah, so yeah, we're so. going to get to a bunch of your follow-up questions next week. We, I think we got almost more follow-up questions in than we got actual questions on the show. So we'll get to those next week. I think that week. means you did a great job. Whoa. Follow-up yeah. questions about my confusing answers right. to their questions? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say your answers are not confusing. I think it's a topic that people want as much clarity as possible. Yeah. Mm. Well, there you go. That's all right. So this weekend, we opened up this series called Others. Can you just talk a little bit more about the concept of that series? And Dex, you're here because I know that the two of you guys have collaborated a lot on making this series happen. Yeah. So the idea just was really uh, motivated in my heart after Charlottesville. I started to change. Originally, the series was going to be called Neighbors, or I don't know what we're going to call it, but it was just the whole idea of loving your neighbor. And um, we're going to get to that a little bit because the reality is uh, for most of us in California, our neighbors are different races, ethnicities, many of them from different nations, cultures, um, and we need to get to know them. I know that on my block, um, Mm -hmm. you know, my neighbor to my left is from India. Uh, My neighbors across the street are from uh, Thailand. Uh, And then my neighbor to my right just became just a normal white dude from the Inland Empire. But before that, it was um, somebody from uh, Scotland, actually. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. I had a Scottish dude. Oh. I don't know. That that's, it was my best James Bond impression. We'll give, we'll give it a pass. Yeah. Good shot. Yeah. I don't like him anymore because he wants to, Scotland to leave Great Britain, which oh. bums me out. Hmm. Your neighbor or James Bond? The, James Bond. 
Yeah, Sean Connery. Oh. He's, yeah. Well, why is racism something we need to talk about in the church? Because it's a real problem. And so, um, you know, I, I think that a lot of us, we just have to be honest that many of us are far more affected by culture than we are by Christ. Mm-hmm. And so all of us have to come to the scriptures and say, okay, what does God want to teach me about me that needs to change? And so a lot of people found out that there are some sexual habits and behaviors that they are participating in that the Bible says that's not okay. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our culture says, you know, basically our culture says, you know, whatever feels good, do it in terms of sex, as long as you don't hurt somebody else. And then I think there would be even an appendix there that says, unless they want you to hurt them, right? (laughs) Because our culture is sexually weird. Um, But the Bible has a lot to say about sex. Um, I actually, uh, you asking me to pray uh, for me as I'm trying to finish up a book um, that's actually called Sex Drive that'll be coming out um, sometime next year. So just talking about um, sex and why it's so important to God and why it should be so important to people who want to follow God. And so there's just so many issues that God is going to speak to us. Like, like whenever I talk about money, well, it's my money. Well, not if you're a follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, it's God's money. Mm-hmm. You are a steward of his money and he blesses you according to your faithfulness. And so we have to learn to surrender our money to him, our resources to him. And I'm grateful that we have uh, amazing people in our church who do that. But the truth is only, I don't know, 25, 30% of our church are tithers, committed givers. And so, you know, that's because it's a difficult issue. Mm -hmm. So sex is a difficult issue. Giving's a difficult issue. And for some of us, we were raised uh, in homes or environments where we look down upon people uh, who are different ethnicity than us, different culture than us. Their skin color is different uh, from us. And so that's a real problem. And so we need to not live life according to the culture that we're raised in because God doesn't care how you were raised. I mean, all of us, um, and that's why you need to take the workshops that are coming up. Super excited about that. We were actually working on it yesterday. Um God wants to re-raise you. That's what it means to put on these clothes. That's what it means to put on this attitude is God wants to raise you and retrain you, not what it means to be a human being, but what it means to be a human being who follows Jesus. And as a radically different person than just your normal everyday person. And so a lot of us have opinions and ideas about people and things that God does not share those opinions. And so we need to submit to his opinion on race. And it's really important to me that we... We don't get caught up in, um, you know, marching for equality and do all these things strictly because Americans think it's right. We need to make sure that it's something that we're marching and we're for because God thinks it's right. Like we have, we have to get our marching orders from God. And if our passions become cultural driven rather than Christ driven, it's only a matter of time before you lose your faith and you walk away. And I've seen it over and over and over again. I've seen it with people who get all involved involved in like social ministry. They're helping the homeless and feeding the homeless. And before you know it, they're not in church. They don't believe in God anymore because they got the cart before the horse. And what we need to care about is Christ. And Christ cares about homeless people. But if you get homeless people before Christ, there's only a matter of time before you're not believing in Jesus anymore. And you're you're just negative and critical and and you abandon your faith. So mm-hmm. that's why, you know, Jesus has a lot to say about racism. And, and just so you know, so does the Bible. I mean, all throughout it, the Bible is very, very specific. Um, and we could talk about more of those verses uh, in the series, but, you know, the Bible reminds the people of Israel that you too were at one time slaves. And you need to remember that in how you treat people, you know, how you how, how you deal with them. And so, you know, we can talk about indentured servitude and things like that, not in today's podcast, but as, as it comes along, um, 
because um, that's really how slavery started in America was it was really not a legal thing. It was indentured servitude, which was something that the Bible talks about, a perfect person temporarily selling themselves to get themselves out of debt or to get themselves in a certain position. And it was actually through a legal court action in an English court that allowed person uh, a person to buy somebody forever, which is just horrendously wrong mm-hmm. and devalues the person. Because the Bible's pretty clear that even when someone is your slave, they still own their property, their family, their things. And when they leave, all those mm-hmm. things go with them. Um, and so there's a year called the year of Jubilee, the seventh year. And so um, it's, you know, it's just, uh, the Bible's very, very specific on, on how to treat a person and what that looks like. And so- Anyways, tell you one of the reasons that I'm grateful that Sandals is tackling this and and that Matt himself sort of you know jumped out there is because just as a reminder, the church is the hope of the world. Mm -hmm. It's all we've got, right? If you follow biological theory, if you follow political theory, if you follow humanism, if you follow like take any any other ism Mm -hmm. thoughtology that you want, we're all bound for destruction, right? We're Mm -hmm. bound by our desires. We're bound by race. Of course, everybody's going to be like, you're you're just sort of stuck with that. At best, you have ideals. Ideals are the American ideal that, you know, we'll we'll be a a melting pot and bring your tire report, right? That's an ideal. It's only one place where you hear the truth and and that's the church, Mm -hmm. right? It's the gospel of Christ. And so I'm, I'm proud of the effort that Samuel is making, I'm proud of the fact that Matt has wanted to jump in, you know, and tackle this because it's 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 you know it's it's broken and it's 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 uh, uh, with a lot of humility and with a lot of grace, but man, it's the truth. And mm-hmm. so what I see us trying to do is go beyond the ideal and go to the truth. And the truth is, God has a plan for the world. At the end of this whole thing. All of us, all of our races, all of our cultures, everything is going to be represented in heaven, which is mm-hmm. a huge point that we're not going to just melt away into, you know, just one single, you know, human race, as people say. No, yeah. it's going to be a ton of diversity. Right. So to try to do what we can to to reflect that in our church is mm-hmm. a big, huge step because mm-hmm. the church has been comfortable with white churches, black churches, conservative churches, you know, like we've been comfortable separating all the people. So the stance that we're trying to make is, no, let's let's see what happens when we bring people together. That's a pretty exciting thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, and that's that's the, the power of the gospel is revealed when you have a Democrat and a Republican, you have a black person, a white person, you have a man and a woman, um, you have a straight person, a homosexual person gathering together, bowing to Jesus, that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's not the gospel when every group goes off into their own niche and surrounds themselves with their friends and their family. And there's a lot of, there's been a big movement the last 10 years where, where my church is just me and my friends hanging out and having a beer. That's not your church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not the church. The church is people from diverse places, so socioeconomically, yeah. uh, ethnically, uh, even even sexually coming together saying, mm-hmm. we are all sinners saved by grace and we're gonna follow Jesus. And what binds us together is our love for Christ. And that's, the church. And, um, you know, that's why you need to be involved in the church. That's why you need to participate in the church um, because we are not transformed when we're just with the people we like. We're transformed when we do what Jesus says. And so he calls us to come together and to be together. And, and it's why the church changed the world. I mean, it, it is. You know, Muslim, uh, Islam conquered the world through power and force. You know, Christianity conquered uh, the Roman empire through love and self-sacrifice. And it's just, it's just amazing. And, you know, the, the Christian church gets wonky when it becomes the official church of um, Rome because now it's, it's the politically correct thing to do. Now it's, um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's the way to get in power. It's the way to move forward in life. And so now you have people coming to Christ for self, you know, aggrandizement rather than self-sacrifice. And that's when the church gets really, really funky. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's really, really tragic. And that's actually why I think it's a good time to be a Christian now, because for the first time in America, as our morals are shifting as a country, you're actually going to have to be different as, as a Christian. Right. We used to be able to assume that, you know, that, that American and Christian was the same and they're not the same. They're, they're radically different. And so we have to, for the first time in a long time, really say, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. So, Okay, so one of the things that you've talked about, Pastor Matt, as we've been preparing for this series that makes it hard for us to really love and understand others is that we're all trapped inside of our own experiences. And, and Dex, you know, Stephanie and I, we've had the opportunity to visit your house and meet your dad, who, like Pastor Matt's dad, was, was also a pastor. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience kind of growing up in church and those kinds of things? Sure. Um, so, so my family ended up in California because of racism. My mom's white, my dad's black. They fell in love, had a child out of wedlock and in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas in the early 70s. Mm. And um, so they had they had to get out of town. It mm-hmm. just wasn't, it wasn't a good thing. Um, Were you, was your mom's parents supportive or no? No. Was your dad's parents supportive or did it not matter? Meh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they... Yeah, yeah. It just it it was just a completely different time, mm. you know. Love ended up being secondary to what does it look like, and mm. you know whatever. So they got out to California. They got right. Um, my dad uh, became a pastor. We lived in Inglewood, California. Born and raised. My mom was one of like very few white people that I saw in my life. There were mm. some teachers, and there were some you know doctors and. Uh, you know, my mom's immediate family, but mostly it was just what you would think of as the inner city, mm-hmm. uh, African-Americans, Hispanics, uh, some Asian, you know, that sort of deal. And so the church where my dad uh, pastored was a stereotypical kind of traditional African-American church, right? Big choir, everybody wore suits and and church went on for three and a half hours. And um, <clears throat> it was a, a, a really... Uh, an amazing time that I really didn't understand how amazing it was as a kid. It was mm. just my dad's gig, you know, it was just mm-hmm. what he did. And so around 15 or so, I started checking out and went my own way, became a believer uh, around 20, and then came out to Cal Baptist here in Riverside, which was a completely yeah, different all white people. tradition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was weird for me too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just, it was really yeah. conservative, wasn't very expressive. Um, it was just a different tradition, different culture. Um, but it helped me to find my own specific way of relating to Christ, which very much like me, I'm between two worlds, right? I'm part African-American, part uh, Anglo-American. And, and so much of the way that I uh, relate to God from like a worship standpoint or a church culture standpoint is right between both mm-hmm. of those worlds as well. There's real beauty uh, in uh, uh, some of the ways that other cultures are much more expressive, you know, worship looks different. They're mm. more involved. It's more physical, which is which is great. And then there are some other things just with uh, doctrine. I love some of the old uh, hymns, especially that are just like a theology lesson mm-hmm. with a chorus. Those things are just stand on opposite sides, but there's beauty in both of those. And so that's been you know the bulk of my life has been 
standing in between these uh, two different worlds as a musician, as a creative, as a you know church staff member, church attender, all that sort of stuff. Um, really seeking the beauty from all of the different cultures and traditions that are there. So, mm-hmm. how did you feel uh, received growing up as a kid by the black community? Did you feel uh, welcomed, or did you feel treat? Did you feel like you were treated differently by your black friends? Yeah, no. Um, I think there was a mix. I mean, being biracial, you're always just kind yeah. of, you know, the everybody just notices you. Um, I felt uh, comfortable, have always felt comfortable around uh, African-American people, you know, black people growing up as a kid. You know, there were, kids are just vicious. So if it wasn't my skin color, it'd be my ears. If it wasn't my ears, it was my nose. If it wasn't my nose, it was, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, I like your ears and your nose. Thanks. Yeah, they're, they're fine. <laughs> I think it's, they're nice. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, kids just, great. Yeah, kids just find a thing to sort of tear you down. So for me, race was one of those things. You know, mm-hmm. my mom yeah. being white was one of those things. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, there was, uh, you know, the, the other side, we got bussed out to the valley uh, and I only survived like a semester. I got into so many fights yeah. because it was just a different place. You know? Yeah, that busing thing was. Yeah, it was a great idea. It was just dumb. I got bust too. Yeah, so it was. We well, you know what was interesting is my sister thrived in that hmm. environment. She she was great, and you hmm. know never had any issues. I was like, I got to get back to Inglewood. <laughs> like I need yeah. to get to Compton. Or so then I went to you know a school over in Watts and. Uh, was you know it was great and the teachers were passionate and you know from a from a cultural standpoint it really gave me a foundation as uh you know uh uh it gave me a foundation that I was able to appreciate black people and the contributions of black people in a way that I may not have gotten had I not been so deeply uh uh integrated into you know the the black society mm-hmm. um and I, and I went hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I just fell in love with uh, the the people and the music, and it just it has always just kind of felt like home, you know. Okay, so explain Guns right. and Roses to me. Well, that's the thing. We were actually talking about this. <laughs> yeah, we were actually talking about this a little bit earlier. Between the summer of '91, the summer of '92, five albums came out that changed my life. Mm. Nevermind by Nirvana, Ten by Pearl Jam. Uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Whoa. Rage Against the Machine's first album. Mm-hmm. And then Public Enemy and Anthrax started doing collaborations. Okay, yeah. And up until that point, all I listened to was hip-hop music exclusively. Mm. NWA, Ice Cube, you know, uh, just that was all I listened to. But over the course of that summer, I got exposed to these albums. And the way that they were raging. yeah resonated with me at spoke to your inner eight yeah for real <laughs> <laughs> like it was just an incredible thing and so from that moment on i just started picking up everything guns and roses metallica um uh you know just uh, my the the boundaries yeah just went away and music just became mm-hmm. music without the the stratification of well this is white music yeah. and this is black well music don't you think music um like sports in america has really helped to bring races together. I mean, yeah. I think it's been it's been a medium where we can learn to appreciate differences. Yeah. So, like anything, you know, in, in whether it's music or art or food, like take anything that you want to discuss, it has the power to expose people. Yeah. Right? It has the power. Music has the power to 
have people who go, man, I hate that because of X, Y, or Z. I mean, you think of the the origins of rock and roll with you know guys like Chuck Berry and mm-hmm. Little Richard and that sort of stuff. Well, no, that was the devil's music. Mm. Partly because of the beat, but also partly because these are black people that white kids were raving over. I mean, they were mm-hmm. losing their minds mm-hmm. over you know uh, uh, the people who are making the music. So it has the power to both draw people together. It also has the power to expose people, push people away, you know, build walls and all that sort of stuff, which for me has been just the, my personal pursuit. As I just love, you know, I'm part seven. So I love exploring. I love mm. taking everything in. Just at the very least, let me taste it, touch it, try it, hear it. Uh, and then I'll make my own choice about it. And I think part of that is informed by being biracial mm-hmm. because all of no, there hasn't been a closed door. Right? It's been, yeah, you can try this uh, culture, you can learn about this culture, you can whatever, and I'm right down the middle. Um, so that, you know, a part of, of my biology has helped to inform hmm. some of the psychology and the way that I've tried hmm. to deal with people with race. Hmm. Love it. Yeah. He right. can't eat fish, though. He doesn't appreciate fish. I try. I, try. <laughs> I take him to good fish restaurants and he orders chicken and salad. It drives me nuts. Yeah. I think that's just a Dex thing, though. That's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing with like fried catfish. My black family would say the same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can take catfish me next time is, at all. Catfish is a dirty case. animal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? True. You see those shows on YouTube where the people hunt them with their fists? Yeah. Anything that you can catch by making a fist, you probably don't want to eat. Right. That's fair. I don't know. Deep fried, they love it. Right. There's a reason the Bible says don't eat those things because yeah. they're feasting on corpses. <laughs> Vampires of the ocean. Okay, go ahead. All right. So during your sermon this week, Pastor Matt, you mentioned that we don't see racism for what it is because we don't see God for who he is. So can you explain how having a right view of God helps us have a right view of race? Yeah, I think a big part of it is, and this is a big part of my heart. I love all of our listeners, but most of you are biblically ignorant. And I see that in every way, every shape, every form. People just don't read the Bible. And it's a problem because when you read the Bible, uh, you're going to be convicted. You're going to be challenged. It's going to challenge your views on absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. It's not just a book of stories. I don't care what your liberal professor says at, at school. It, it, the Bible says that the word of God is a double-edged sword. It, it cuts to the very core of who you are and God knows what your issues are and he challenges you. And so um, one of the things is we, you know, I think Genesis 127, in the beginning, God created uh, mankind, male and female, he created them. It says nothing about race, mm-hmm. which you have to understand that, that the Bible is primarily a Jewish book. It yeah. does not say they were Jews. There, there's no commentary on Jews or Judaism at all until Genesis chapter 12, mm-hmm. the call of Abraham, who by the way is not Jewish. Right. Mm-hmm. He's Syrian, he's Middle Eastern, he's you know from the land of Turkey, Babylon. I mean, that's where he comes from. He's not a different ethnicity, he's called to a belief. Mm-hmm. And that's what gets lost in Judaism is that God is calling Abraham by faith to be a light to the nations. And so what are we called as Christians? To be a light to the nations. And you can't be a light if you're trapped in the darkness of racism. You, you, can't, you can't be that. And so, um, so many people, um, fail to to uh, see racism for what it is because they haven't studied God for who he is. And God is so intentional about what he says and what he doesn't say. And so, you know, people always say, well, who did, who did uh, Adam and Eve's children marry? We don't know, it doesn't say. And I always ask, well, what color were their eyes? We don't know. It doesn't say. It's giving us a picture of mankind, what God intended it to be. The earth was intended to be good, a safe place for mankind to worship God and connect with him and work in a way that's fulfilling and not cursed. What happened? They sinned, they fell apart. 
both the land and the people are cursed, and there's just division upon division upon division. Uh, at some point in this series, we're gonna talk about the Tower of Babel and why that's important, where God confuses the languages uh, because mankind united against him. Mm-hmm. And so as Christians, we are called to unite together for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're gonna look at Pentecost and how that is the unconfusing of the languages through the falling of the Holy Spirit. So um, the Bible reveals God's heart. And so if a person is racist, what they're revealing is they don't know God. Mm-hmm. And so as you discover God, and you have to understand that a lot of modern racism, I mean, racism is rooted really in two things. Number one, sin. But really for the modern Western world, racism is rooted in the theory of evolution. There's no way around it. Evolution needs to own most of the way we think. So if you study Benjamin Franklin, Benjamin Franklin was an abolitionist. He was absolutely against racism. And he just talks about, you know, he was taught in school as a scientist that the races are different. They're less evolved. And he came to the conclusion that as a scientist, as a person who looks at things, evaluates things, he goes, this is not true. And that's why he became an abolitionist. And he said, look, we got to get rid of this evil um, because what he was taught in school, not from a biblical perspective, but from a scientific approach. And if you guys are looking for a great movie to watch, I, I would watch the movie called um, The Hidden World of Z or The Lost World of Z. Lost World of Z. Lost World yeah, of Z. So if you like Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones's character is actually based upon this real historical person. And what he's actually arguing for is that the people of Amazonia are intelligent, yeah. uh, have culture, have things that we can learn from and wisdom. And it is the National Geographic Society of Britain, not the church, that argues that that's ridiculous. Wow. They are not evolved. It's, it's scientists who are gathering together to say the people of uh, South America are less than. And this guy as a... Um, I don't know what you would call him. I mean, Indiana Jones, I mean, he doesn't have a whip, but it's a cool, it's, it's a cool movie. Right. But he really sees people for what they are. He discovers, and they have abilities and farming techniques and, and they can do what the European man can't do, which is survive in the Amazon because white dudes die like soft cheese at a summer party. <laughs> um, it's just, it's rough, man. Um, so we, we need to understand that. And so unfortunately, it, it's like the same thing. Well, people will throw that the world is flat on, on the church. Well, guess where the church got that from? Science. It was science that believed the world was flat and the church was just dumb enough to believe the scientists. And then we adopt that and we get hit with that club. And so oftentimes it's the church's desire to walk in step with contemporary culture that in the long run bites us. Mm-hmm. We need to trust God. I mean, um, the Bible, if you read the Bible, it says the earth is a sphere. That's what it says. Right. So, it, you know, it, so you, you just, you just got to trust that, believe that, follow that. Um, and again, um, you've got to trust God. God's word knows, he knows the truth. And so uh, I think this week we're gonna look at a verse, um, you know, where it says that God does not look upon man as man looks upon man because man looks upon the outward appearance. Mm-hmm. That's racism. The, the evaluation of a person based upon what you can see is where racism is rooted. The Bible says that God looks upon man at his heart. Yeah. And just do, just do a Google search. Um, I know you guys probably don't have the kind of, uh, computer equipment that I have to study scripture, but just do a word search on the word examine in your Bible. And you will see over and over and over again that God examines the heart, that God looks within. And, and for all you people who are so confident about your standing before God on judgment day, you have no idea the kind of technology that God has to look at you. Hmm. You know, you are gonna be far more revealed than you are at the airport. You know, when you walk through that machine where they see you nude, yeah. I always give them a little wink. 
<laughs> well, I mean, what else do you do? I mean, it's just awkward. Just somebody, somebody's looking it. at you naked. They say those pictures disappear, but how do we know? Yeah. We don't know. We know. So, yeah. My wife thinks it's disgusting. Real answers to conspiracy theories. We're TSA well, agnostic. Yeah. 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 Well, I always get called into the little room uh, where they talk about how they're going to touch you. Yeah. yeah. With the back of their hands because that makes it non-sexual. I am, okay. I am perpetually the random security check. You look a little Middle Eastern. That's what they say. <laughs> you do. I don't it's know the beard. Yeah. I was trying to tell you, bro. Mm. It's yeah. all good. I'm down Sorry. with the brown. I want you to go. I want you. I want you to go to Israel with me, <laughs> just so I can have a good time. <laughs> 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 yeah. Dude, man, if you fly LL Airlines, yeah. dude, they profile. They pro. Sure. My wife was ready to get me arrested forever. She's like, he did it. He's a terrorist. You know. <laughs> I'm like, why are you sweating? Because they ask you all these questions. They mm. they get in. They get in your business. Yeah. Because everyone hates the Jews. And so they know that. So they're like, we don't care. Oh my gosh. My wife was like, literally, she's a six. She's like, take him away. He did it. I'm like, I don't trust him. Yeah. Gosh. I want to go with Dex. Yeah. I'll probably be adopted. That's typically what happens. Yeah. Everyone thinks I'm one of them. Mm. So I'll go to, you know, somewhere in South America. They'll think I'm one of them. Hawaii, Golden. India. Yeah, like we went yeah, to India. Israel, India, that's Israel, right. Israel they look like him. Yeah, that's, that's what the Jewish people look like. They look like you. <laughs> yeah, at awesome. least the Orthodox ones. Mm. They like they like some. They have better beards. Delicacies. Mm. As do I. Okay, so during this sermon, uh, we, you you kind of talked about. I thought this was really helpful. Five different categories of racism: ignorance, foolishness, yeah. opportunism, mm-hmm. ugliness, and evil. Can we talk more about? what those look like and yeah. then even how you know some of the experiences you guys have had have yeah. right so i would say that you know for me that, that the biggest thing for me is just ignorance i mean i was raised um by so the two uh patriarchs of my family um i don't know if they had racist tendencies or not because i didn't know them when they were young men but they both had radical conversions to christ as adult males um they both served in world war ii and so i think men that served in service got opportunities to interact with people from different races. And I think that that helped. Um, so the, the two white men in my family, n- I never heard a racist word. I never heard a slur. Uh, matter of fact, I think if I would have ever said, I, I would have been smacked. My, my Italian grandfather, mm-hmm. uh, Lawrence Estes, not, he was scary. He's missing a finger because it got shot off. <laughs> this is scare me, man. He'd point that, oh, yeah. that nub at me, man. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the grandpa that was, we were told he was dead for three months um, because the, the dog tag of his buddy blew on him and his blew off. So they, Whoa. yeah, they told my great grandma that uh, Grandpa Lawrence was dead. So, and it wasn't until he came out of his coma in Honolulu that they figured out wow. they messed up. So, um, yeah, my grandpa was a tough dude, man. He, you know, he had, uh, he was shot with a wooden bullet in his chest twice because the Japanese were running out of metal. Um, I, you know, I never asked him about his feelings towards the Japanese people. I, I think a lot of those men of that era maybe had appreciation for black men or they had appreciation for Hispanic men uh, and deep appreciation for American Indians because of their role in coding. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, I, I, you know, yeah. I think that was pretty dark. They, 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 the Japanese, uh, you know, did some pretty nasty things in that war, as did we, but it was, it was a dark time, not for American Japanese and what happened to them was horrific, but I think that was really, really hard. And so I, we talked briefly about Grandpa Jack, you know, and I, you know, and I had to really work with him through that, but man, he lost, he, I can't fathom yeah. picking up the parts of my friends mm-hmm. off of me mm-hmm. and, you know, right. um, so, you know, I, so I need to be careful not to judge there on that. And, 
Um, sometimes to win wars, you have to hate, and that's awful. But you know, that's it's it, world, the World War II was literally a battle for the world's soul, and I'm glad the people that won won. Um, but for me, it was just ignorance. I, I grew up, like I said, from first grade on in a very, very multicultural setting. Um, my elementary school principal was Asian. Um, our, you know, uh, all of our yard duty personnel were black women. Oh man, scary mm-hmm. black women, Miss Cooper. And in the eighties, they had sticks. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Dude, right. I mean, if you got out of line, dude, I would get hit with a stick in junior high. Our, our um, I don't know what you would call him. Yard personnel. His name was Mr. Battle. Oh, black guy. He's nice. ready to roll. He wore, <laughs> he was, amazing. he wore fatigues. Oh, <laughs> Mr. Battle. Was- yeah. I'm telling you, he was a retired military person and Mr. Battle took no crap from anybody. And so I had a deep reverence for black people early on. I didn't have a lot of exposure to black men because most of my black friends' um, dads were not in the picture. Mm -hmm. Their moms were uh, large and in charge, very scary um, and very, very clear and and very loving. Mm -hmm. And let me say this about the black community, um, their reverence for pastors was extraordinary. Yeah. So as soon as they found out that I was a pastor's kid, I was treated with dignity, love, and respect in, in ghetto schools. I mean, I'm telling you, but they, as soon as they found out what my dad did, and even to this day, um, in our community, black people tend to have uh, more respect and reverence for the position of pastor than, than white people do. And so mm-hmm. I, I've been treated very well in my life by people of color. You know, uh, on the track team, um, you know, I, I ran the, um, what do you call it, the 100 meters. And so, I mean, you know, our first guy that ran was Ming Mang. He's Asian. He passed off to John Lewis, who's black, who passed off to me. You know, I was white. And then our final gay guy was Javier and he's Mexican. I mean, <laughs> that was wow. our track team, right? Yeah. So it was it was very, very multi-ethnic. And I learned very early on to appreciate ethnicity. So, so not only that, but our church was rented out to Armenians. Uh, we were rented out to an Arab group. Group we had a Korean group, and for a period of time we had a black church that also used our facility. So, um, and then my grandfather on the other side was the director of missions for the state of California. So California is very very diverse. So my sin when it comes to racism was I didn't get to experience it. I didn't get to see it. Um, a lot of the ugliness that I saw was between my black friends and how they treated each other. Um, you know. talking down and using words that like, if I would have used my mother, I'm telling you, I would have been hurt. Like my parents were spankers, man. I got spanked. And so um, I had the fear of God in me and my mom's little, but she's powerful. And um, so I was really, really ignorant of a lot of that. But as I've grown up and I've been exposed and and I've gotten out in the world and and you see that as people get comfortable around you and they, they say things and it's just like, so for me, it was just ignorance. I did not experience that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I experienced uh, California, inner city. Um, and, um, and and this is the, the beauty of what I grew up in is there wasn't a dominant ethnicity. Things get mm-hmm. ugly when there's a dominant ethnicity. And typically in America, that's white. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, my brother's kids are in a dominant Hispanic area in Chicago, and that's been difficult for them because they're, they're the minority. So it, I was blessed to be very, very multicultural. So maybe, you know, like you said, there wasn't a lot of white people in Compton. We we had, I would guess, you know, 25% white people in our school. Mm-hmm. So it was probably 25, 25, 25. Um, I mean, it was very, very balanced. And so I, I think that was very, very good for me. And I, I, I appreciate culture, food. So it was ignorance. And when I see it and I see how people are treated, you know, and Dex shares his stories with me and 
Um, you know, it just breaks my heart. It makes me sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it hurts me. Um, and I, I need to remind myself that, you know, these things happen. Um, you know, we were talking about my mother-in-law was present um, in this weekend's message. And I met my wife's grandpa. And we, here we are after church on Sunday. And my mother-in-law says about my grandfather-in-law, uh, oh, he's a racist. Like she just yeah. just says it. And, and she started saying things about Tammy's grandpa. And I asked Tammy, I was like, did you know that about your grandpa? She's like, I didn't know. Right. And, uh, and she's just like, oh yeah. And so, you know, that was just like, and, and, and I thought grandpa Bob was pretty, pretty cool dude, but I was white, <laughs> right. you know? So that was eye-opening to me. And that just reminds you that it, it, it's lurking under the surface. And, and that's where I think, um, you know, for me, ignorance, you know, foolishness, teasing, joking. And I think we have a question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of racism, and I wanted to say this in, in church, but I'm, I'm gonna say it here. It, it's just, you know, not everybody's a racist. Some people are, are a omnidirectional a-hole right. and <laughs> yeah. they are just nasty to people. And so if I can use your race to get under your skin, then I'm gonna do that. And uh, they're just haters. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's unfortunate. And then I think there is a group of people, uh, um, I think it's a smaller minority in our country that really believes that there's something wrong with certain races. And that's just, I don't know what you do with people like that. I mean, uh, Erwin McManus at Mosaic Church said, you can't reason with a racist. And I think he's right. Right. You know, outside of an act of God, you know, I mean like Paul, right? Paul's a racist. You, the Gentiles are not chosen. So what does God do? He strikes him almost dead on the road to Damascus. He blinds him. Yeah. So he can't see color and he's dependent upon up another person. And right. so, and then Paul's, Paul's forever changed, but outside of a real act of God, which let's just say this, you know, those of you who are struggling with sex, you may, you may need a Damascus road experience. Those of you who are struggling with your finances, a Damascus road experience. Cause a lot of people come to church to be a better person and you're not going to become a better person until you realize the depths of your sin. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just think a lot of people don't know that. Um, you don't know how big of a sinner you are and you don't know how loved you are. And you need to experience it, both those things. But in order to experience God's love, you have to experience your sin. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, go ahead. I know I talked for a long time, but sometimes I do that. You just gotta like jump in. No, it's fine. I, <laughs> I, I, I think we should just extend this episode, cut it into two, because I think there's a lot of good stuff that's going on. But as we were going through this list uh, on Sunday, one of the things that I loved in my own head was I was able to kind of play back uh, the tape of my own memories of times where I've done each mm. one of those. And even, you know, at some parts, just being just so angry and frustrated about things that it was just evil mm. and dark. Like it's no other explanation for it. And then also being able to see times that people were foolish or or ignorant or whatever, you know, against me. And to to figure out how I processed all of that. Because, you know, like I said, growing up, we weren't exposed to a lot of white people, but there were two. My mom had, uh, she worked with a woman named Eunice and she had a sister. Her sister, Eunice. Was, yeah, her sister was named Bunny. And these two sisters, <laughs> these two two older white ladies didn't have any kids or anything and they spoiled my sister and I to death. Oh, they just cool. loved us to death. So they would pick us up and they would, you know, we'd put on our fancy clothes and we'd drive out to Beverly Hills and we'd eat fancy food. And it was the first time I learned that like a bagel uh, wasn't a donut, you know? Yeah. It, was like, it was like, I never knew what a bagel was. This is, you know, whatever. Um, uh, they were the most amazing people in the world, these two older white ladies. And I sort of carried with me this sense that, man, all these white people are just nice, mm. all these old white ladies. And then uh, I went to uh, Utah one time. Ooh. 
And as I walked into a restaurant in Utah, I literally heard like the forks and knives drop in this restaurant because people had never seen someone like me yeah. before. And I realized, okay, there's 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 difference. And Utah's me, pretty white. So is Idaho. Super white. Yeah. yeah. So 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 white, in fact, this is not a lot. I was in Salt Lake City, Utah. We were playing a show and I'm out just sort of taking in the city and I'm walking down the street and I see like the only other white guy that I saw in two, I mean, sorry, only other black guy that I saw in two days. And I was kind of like gave him like the black, like, yeah, you know, sort of like the, it's like the, driving a Jeep. Yeah, yeah kind of gave him the yeah. nod and he didn't give me the nod back. And oh. I was like, this, we got to go. Like, we all got to go. They're doing something with black people here. And we yeah. Come to okay, find out, so they weren't doing anything. To on my Twitter account, there's this guy named Derwin Gray that follows me, and he's a he's a big black activist pastor in the South. And so, I'm at that meeting, yeah. and I go, so you know, he played football in the NFL. I said, so where where where'd you play your college football? Yeah, BYU. I was like, right. <laughs> I was like, why would you do that? Yeah, he yeah. just said it was the best school that I had the best offer, and yeah. I'm like. That's like the whitest school yeah, in the world. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how many like Polynesian, like they do, you know. I love uh, you, Derwin. Mormons Sorry, yeah. do so much mission work. They pull in people from all around the world. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to say about this list is I think the two uh, things that people are most confused by of that list, we can all sort of count out, you know, we can call out evil uh, pretty quick. You know, some of these others are just mm-hmm. easier to call out. But foolishness and ignorance are hard for people to understand yeah. because it, it causes you to have to apologize for something you don't think is wrong, mm-hmm. right? Like a joke. It's like, oh, I'm saying, I'm just joking. Like, what? Well, what's the big deal? Yeah. Uh, same thing with ignorance. Just I didn't, I didn't know that, or I'd assumed this my yeah. whole entire mm-hmm. life, and now I've just sort of walked into this thing. So it requires a lot of humility mm-hmm. to go. I'm sorry that I offended you. Tell me what I can do better. Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Like, yeah. Explain this to me. Yeah, because, it's like marriage. Yeah, because a lot of times. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of times, like I even have gotten into trouble both with ignorance and foolishness with my wife. So my wife is beautiful, Hispanic. Her family's off from uh, Guadalajara. Love all of them to death. And sometimes they'll joke about themselves and I'm there and I want to jump in and joke. Ooh, and they're yeah. like, you can't. Yeah. It's just not a thing for you. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. And oftentimes people forget that, right? You'll hear uh, white people oftentimes will say, well, how come I can't say the N-word? I hear black people always say the N-word. Uh, you just can't say the N-word. It's just, yeah. it's just. I don't want you to say the end. Right. It's just a rule. I don't yeah. like that word. No. And and the 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 thing about it, there's this this uh, great term that I uh, came across, and sociologists uh, call it code switching. Right. So for someone like me who lives a lot of time in both of these worlds, uh, we are called upon to respond in a certain way in one environment. Mm-hmm. differently than we're called upon to respond in another environment. Some people would say, well, you're not being real. But the reality is, in order to close the gap in an all-white environment, I know there's a certain way that I talk and a certain mm-hmm. way that I respond to them, understanding that I that I need to close the gap in that environment. Without even thinking about it, the same thing is on the African-American side. Mm-hmm. And anybody who does that, not just people who are biracial, but people who live in both of those worlds do it. It's confusing because it is both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing that our world is such a way that people are called upon to have to navigate both sides of the fence. Mm. But it's a good thing because when 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 done correctly, right? People who are, uh, it's, it's really specific to minorities, minorities having to do this uh, the other way. When it's done correctly, it is able, you're able to present minorities to white people in a way that ends up disarming across the board. The challenge ends up being though, that I, like I love 
uh, joking. I have a dark sense of humor. I'm fine joking about race, death, whatever. It doesn't really matter. I have to be careful with that with people when we're joking about race because then they'll assume they can go joke yeah. about race with somebody else and and that's not a thing, right? Yeah. It all falls Well, and apart. that's why it's so important. I think one of the negatives of, of the generalizations of race is you, you fail to understand the person right. and their story. Mm-hmm. Like, so people see me, they're like, oh, everybody thinks I grew up in Orange County surfing all the time. They have right. no, they have, they don't know me at all. They don't know my story. They don't know my struggles. They don't know, um, you know, try, trying to fit in. And, you know, when I go to the Filipino birthday party, you know, I, I want to fit in, or I go to the black birthday party, I want to fit in, or I go to the Latino birthday party and, and, you know, and I, and I, and I want to fit in. And so, um, because my friends were very, very multi-ethnic and that's just, that's just the reality. And so, uh, you know, I understand that. So well, one of the beautiful things that you talked about this past weekend is the idea of those of us who have no friends of other races, we have to do the work to cross the bridge yeah. and find somebody because you'll find that relationships give a lot of equity, right? You're able mm-hmm. to ask questions. You're able to dig into, you know, backstories. You're mm-hmm. able to, in a safe way, say, hold on, I got a question. Why, why, why do you guys do that? Mm-hmm. Or I saw this. Is that something everybody does or is it just you? Relationships build that equity in a way that you couldn't ask that of a person on a bus or even a coworker, you know, without mm-hmm. getting a, you know, hey, HR wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to you, you talked about specifically small groups and being sure that and add some diversity to your small groups. And this was uh, 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 reiterated. There was a person that I was talking to who joined a small group for the first time. It's all white, they're, they're white as well. They were kind of sensitive to that fact now because of the the message. And when they started talking about some of the conversations that the small group were having, he felt really uncomfortable. And he said, we wouldn't be talking like this yeah. mm-hmm. if there was a Hispanic person or an African-American person or an Asian person. And I thought that was, a, in, in, in the, the, uh, the darkness of that, it's a beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. That an individual would go, I'm sensitive to this moment now. God's calling me to be a courageous person go and do something else, step out of this, find another group, find, you know, invite other yeah. people to the group, whatever. Uh, because it's little steps like that. That's the only way racism changes, right? Mm-hmm. The, 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 uh, 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 the, you know, March on Washington and, you know, Selma and all yeah. these really big movements are amazing things, beautiful things that had they not happened, our world would be a radically different place. But the work that's necessary now, I believe, is less about marches and more about relationships, right? It's less about, you know, banners and signs and all the rest of that. And mm-hmm. it's more you and me going, we can do something about this. Well, and think about what's what's the core religious ceremony of the church. It's breaking bread in each other's homes. That's what it is. Right. It's saying, okay, as a Jew and a Gentile, um, and, and I think there's, there's, there's a reason that the elements are bread and wine, because culturally that's transferable. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. everybody can eat bread. Everybody can drink a little wine. So it's not like you know, come over for tacos or come over for <laughs> you know Chinese food or something like that. It's a very, very generic yeah. staple thing that says culturally we're all going to come together and we're going to do this. And it's been a very, very bonding agent throughout the world. Um, you know, uh, wherever you are. So I, I just watched the movie Silence. Did you watch it yet? No. Oh my gosh, watching the Japanese people break bread and receive mm. communion. You know, within their Japanese context was it, it was. It was powerful uh, and watching them as Portuguese Jesuit priests and Japanese uh, Christian believers, 
it was it was just really really powerful. And we need to remember that it's saying that's where our small groups of your inner community group, the way for your community group to be, become instantaneously dysfunctional is make it about the group and not about Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to bring it back to Jesus, and you've got to bring it back to that. Um, Otherwise, we're going to talk politics. We're going to talk sports. We're right. going to talk culture. Right. You know, we're going to talk Trump's speech. We've got to talk about what Christ has done, because ultimately, you know, the Martin Luther King dream speech—it's scripture. That's what he's talking about, man. He has a dream of seeing Christians uh, leading in this, and 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 right, judging based upon not the color of skin, but the content of character. And again, we're not supposed to judge. You need to have judgment. Otherwise, you're going to get hurt, wounded, robbed whatever, but you need to judge people based upon what's on in, on the inside and not what's on the outside. And um, we need we need to love people in that. So yeah. can we talk about the, the ignorance set piece for a second? We're going to, we got a, somebody wrote in a question about foolishness. Before we jump into that, the, the, you, you brought the subdex that I think it can be one of these areas that's really hard for people to, to accept. It just feels so wrong to say, oh, yeah, I want to accept responsibility f- for something I didn't know yeah. or realize. Uh, and this honestly is the journey that I've gone on over the last year and a half or so trying to process what it looks like to identify racism in my own life. And it's, I don't know. I've, it's, it feels like a hard thing to help, even help other people see or identify. I, I don't know. Can you guys talk more about again? This I, sin? You don't know you're ignorant until you're exposed to it, and so that's the only way to deal with ignorance is to be exposed to it. The only way to be exposed to it is to sit in community group with a black person who's lost a job or ha- or been threatened or, or or any kind of minority because of the color of their skin, and you need to hear their heart, hear their story, feel their pain and come alongside as a brother, that or a sister in Christ, that's what's going to take away the ignorance is, mm-hmm. look, this is an issue. And um, you know, if you're white, in most parts in America, you're not gonna experience racism. You go to Hawaii, it, it can happen. Right. Uh, I mean, it's <laughs> Hawaii is, is a really, really tense racially place, you know, depending upon where you are. And so I have family there, so I'm not in the tourist areas and you get out and, Man, you can be you can be physically hurt yeah. because your skin color is the wrong color, and that's disheartening. And um, so, uh, you know, it, it's a real thing. And I, you just have to understand, racism is a sin problem. Are people sinners? Romans three twenty three: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Of mm-hmm. course, there's racism. Of course, it's everywhere. Of course, the natural mentality of man is to divide oneself by herd and then by political party, then by preference, yeah. then by you know affiliation. Right? You just you just keep. The natural human thing is to continue to divide until you're only surrounded by people who think, look, and act like you. And as Christians, we're supposed to think, act, and look like Jesus. And so what he wants us to do, you have to think about his last words, is go into all nations, teaching them everything I've commanded you, right? So the Great Commission is a mission of equality. God loves the nations. God loves the peoples. (laughs) Baptize them and teach them what I have taught you. All authority has been given unto me. And so we, we're to do that. And so that's just really, really important. And so, um, you know, um, again, w- one of the categories of racism is opportunists. And some people use racism as an opportunity for self-aggrandizement. Right. Um, you know, when we had uh, the young woman killed here by police officers uh, here in Riverside, she was shot way too many times. Mm-hmm. But we had black leaders come from all over the nation who don't care about Riverside. They didn't care about what was happening here what they were looking for is a pedestal and an opportunity. And it was really hurtful to our black leaders in our city, our, our people who needed to step out and, and handle this situation. They really were kind of run over by national right. leadership. And, um, 
you know, we, we have great black leadership in our city. We have great black communities here. And it really was a Riverside problem. And it was something that needed to be dealt with here. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were policy changes that need to occur. The whole thing was a disaster. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and we needed to handle that. But our black leadership in our community was was really dwarfed by right. kind of the national media and the national story. And, 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 and I don't think any community is helped or healed by outsiders coming in to take uh, over situations, what you really need is, you know, like Bishop uh, Lacey Sykes, and we need other leadership in our community, competent, able leaders mm -hmm. to help us heal as a community. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important um, because the issues in Riverside are different than what's going on in St. Louis that are different what's happening in Charlotte. Uh, each of those communities need to be able to handle those situations. Mm -hmm. And we need to su be supportive of, um, you know, those community leaders handling that issue. And I think that we get that in areas of education. We get that in areas of, uh, you know, it's, it's about local community empowerment and we need to do that. And so um, otherwise you get opportunists and a bunch of people that are constantly, yeah. you know, they want to increase their Twitter feed. They really don't want to help people. And so, um, you know, I, I really, really care about my city, the surrounding cities. Mm -hmm. You know, my heart is for Reno Valley, San Bernardino, Riverside Redlands, you know, Colton, Corona. That's my heart. And uh, if something happens, in these areas, I'm going to be a part of that, but yeah. you're not going to see me going into another community uh, because I don't know those people. And, right. and, and, and there, there are, you guys need to know this, there are competent leaders, religious leaders who love Jesus in every city and town in America. We mm -hmm. have wonderful, amazing people. And so, um, yeah. and again, opportunists divide us. You know, this is what's wrong with uh, so much of our news is it's not news, it's cheerleaders. They're, they're riling, riling up, mm -hmm. you know, their group. And it's just, Man, it's just so tragic. You know, this morning I got up and I looked at foxnews.com and cnn.com and you would think they were reporting news in two different countries. Sure. I mean, their front page wasn't even remotely yeah. the same. And it's yeah. just like, how is that possible? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, specific to that ignorance piece, I, uh, I think it's important for people to know it's, it's okay to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's not okay to say, I don't care. Mm. Yeah, those good. are two big different things, right? If somebody goes, "Whoa, okay, sorry, I, I, I didn't know," we, we can move on from yeah. that. But the response oftentimes is, "I don't care." From 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 many sides, and, and we live out "I don't care" by saying things like when somebody goes, "Oh, you know," uh, it starts talking about slavery, and then a person goes, "Well, what about the Irish?" Yeah. What about what? Well, yeah, it sucked for yeah, it sucked for them too. But we're like we're talking about this, this sort of thing, yeah. and it's the thing that I think you know this is this will end up being you know a, a hot topic. But the thing that I appreciate about the Black Lives Matter movement is they are trying to make this statement: Can we talk about us? Like, mm. is that okay? Yeah, is it okay for us mm. to talk about us without it being splintered or without it being you know referred to as something else? And the issue is this: uh, 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 that people are not willing to move past the "I don't know" into okay, like fill me in, mm -hmm. fill me in on what it's like being black in Chicago, mm -hmm. fill me in on what it's like being, you know, in the inner city in Inglewood, mm -hmm. fill me in on what it's like to be in one of the poor areas, you know, of Houston. You have no hope now. Mm -hmm. You couldn't afford the place that you were renting before. Now that place is gone. What's the next thing that you're going to do? And the challenge from people who are the ones that are feeling oppressed, left out, and ignored, is that there's very little recourse for uh, uh, for for people to be able to see your plight 
except through violence, anger, frustration. Yeah. It's the same thing with a two-year-old that feels like nobody's listening to them. What do they do? Mm-hmm. Well, they don't sit down and write a whole thesis about what it's like to feel like a frustrated two-year-old. They end up acting out. And in some ways, there's a human element to just the anger and frustration, right? It's the it's the the Langston Hughes poem, What Happens to a Dream Deferred? Does mm-hmm. it crust over and run? Does it explode? Mm-hmm. You know, by the end of it, it's that same sort of thing. So the hope you know, from from my side, one of the things I really appreciate uh, about you know our small group in particular is that you know we've got you know uh, uh, Joey and his uh, family. We've got the birds. We've got the Skinners. There's Hispanics. There's Indians. There's uh, 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 you know uh, uh, Islanders. There's you know uh, African American. Like this whole entire mix. And when I sit around and look at that, I sort of see a group of people that I would go. I feel like it's okay for me to mm. say this, feel this. You know whether it's a personal thing or whether mm-hmm. it ends up becoming you know a thing about yeah. race or culture or whatever, and the way to close that gap between this distance that you may feel from another mm-hmm. race is being able to admit with humility, I, I, I don't know this. Right? It's the same step with any mm-hmm. sort of sin. Right? Mm-hmm. The sin is whoa, whoa, whoa that's yeah. sin. Okay, yeah, I, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn. I'm going to walk the other way. But I'm curious because you had your own deal a year ago. Yeah, you know what. I think what you, both of you guys said is so true. And I'm now going, here's what happened for me. July 2016 was a crazy time in our whole country. Right. And I started going, I don't think I understand everything that's going on here. Yeah. And started to try and pay attention, started to try and seek some sort of understanding right. um, through lots of reading, listening. And I just got really intentional that month going, mm-hmm. I got to figure some things out. Because I I mean, I grew up here in the city of Riverside, went to a private Christian school, and there was one non-white person in my graduating senior high school class, one. Right. Um, so I had, I didn't really have any of these kinds of things. Right. And I think that particular context, and then all of a sudden, when we had Tim Timberlake here, and he was on the podcast, he said something. We're in relationship. And what he said was talking about the challenge of trying to be a black pastor with white people submitting. Hmm. It was right there in that particular moment that I think God spoke to me and said, you're a racist because you wouldn't, you didn't want to submit to him when he came here to your church. Hmm. And so I think that, yeah, trying to start to learn, <laughs> set the context for God to say, you got issues, brother. Yeah. Um, that's where I think maybe I was like, whoa, okay, this is a thing. And then that's laid the foundation for me to grow. And, and really the way that I've been trying to grow is through learning and, and understanding. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and just, and I think if, if you're a Christian and you're listening, a big part of growth is spiritual submission. Mm-hmm. And so, right, so, so the color of the leader's skin becomes irrelevant because the call is to spiritual submission. And right. so if my pastor is black, who cares? I've God has called me to submit to my leader, yeah. and you just need to understand when you, when you when you look at the early church leadership, uh, and this is what breaks my heart for the Black Muslim movement in America is they became so disenfranchised from uh, the the origins of Christianity. Uh, I mean, uh, if you look at the origins of Islam, it's far more racist, and 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 we just we don't have Islamic racism in America. What we have is Christian racism in America. But if you go in Africa and you go around the areas right. where so much of the the Arabic trade was, is you know black people are treated terribly in, in Africa, and so 
there, there was a, a level of ignorance there in that, but our early church fathers, Athanasius is a black man from the city of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And he is the reason we believe in the Trinity. Yeah. He is the one scholar. And if you're a black person, you need to hear me say that scholar. He's a genius who argues before the councils uh, in uh, Constantinople, which is now called Istanbul. And he's actually thrown into jail and he's considered a heretic for a period of time. But ultimately his theology won the day. And it's why we believe in the one true God Mm -hmm. who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because Athanasius is a black man who loves Jesus and had equality. Think about it. He had equality before the leading church fathers of the church in Istanbul. He was able to go right in there and he was not imprisoned because he was black. He was imprisoned because he was in the minority theological group at that time as the church was struggling with who is Jesus. The issue was who is Jesus, not what is the color of his skin. And ultimately, because the church saw his theology, we, we're all saved yeah. because of that guy. Right. And um, and that's just so important to understand, you know, the roots of that. And we're gonna talk about, uh, you know, the church in Antioch, and uh, you see black leaders referenced yeah. instantaneously. Simon the Niger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, NLT will say the black man, but um, <laughs> right. but that's important to understand that mm-hmm. what made Christianity such an unstoppable movement was people of all races, socioeconomic status, men, women were able instantaneously to be treated as equals in the house of God. Yeah. And so you have slave owners opening their homes, and their slaves are not serving, but they're worshiping. Right. And they're being confronted with this reality that you may be richer, you may be more powerful, but in submission, in spiritual submission to Christ, we're all equal. It's yeah. powerful, man. I mean, it it changed the world. Mm-hmm. So, and we've gotten away from that. And uh, and again, the American church is segregated not because of the Bible, but because of American culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can I just say really yeah. quickly, we look we look back at history, and one of the things that history proves is we're not okay. Hasn't been okay for anybody. No. I mean, it hasn't been okay for white people. It hasn't been okay for Hispanic people. No. It hasn't been okay for black people. We're all not okay. Yeah. In relationship, we can go, we can be okay, right? Like, right. Well, forget everything that's happened before. You and I yeah. can find a place where we can be okay. And that's the power of the gospel. It's the thing that Paul himself fought for with Jews and Gentiles is, look, this mm-hmm. can all work out because that is the very heart of God. Mm-hmm. And with God being a relational being and, and wanting a relationship with us, he also wants us to be healed relationally with each other Amen. as well. And, and that's what one of the things I think that's so wrong with our country right now is everybody is saying nasty things to a computer screen where you would never say that to a person in their face. Yeah. And, um, and I, I see it all the time in our church. I get a nasty letter. I sit down with the person (laughs) and they're totally humble, whatever. And then we're done with the meeting. And then the next letter comes and it's just like, look, you got to look in somebody's eyes. You got to sense their pain, feel their heartache, walk in their shoes and understand what it, what it means to be, um, you know, a a, a Hispanic person in our church. What does that mean? Um, How challenging is it to relate when uh, English is not your first language? What does that mean to be an illegal, uh, um, immigrant in this country and to come to Sandals Church, right? right? And so, uh, you know, this is not a political place. We, we're not here to arrest or judge anyone. We're here to love all who come to our church. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, that's what we need to politically identify with Jesus yeah. and to pray over these people, um, you know, and, and to understand that, yep, you know, it's just so important to identify with the person and, um, you know, that's just essential. Or what does it mean to be a black man or a black woman and to come to Sandals where you are the minority? You yeah. are. Yeah. And um, 
Uh, and I'm so grateful for, uh, you know, the black people that come to our church and who are part of our church because I think they make us better. And, uh, and we're better, you know, when you're serving, you're leading, you're, you're, a, you're a part of our church and you're helping us understand the heart of God. And so yeah. I'm just so grateful uh, for that. And, um, and again, when you're white, you tend to not see race because you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Now, if you travel around the world, you're going, to, you're going to experience and sense what it means to not be like everybody else. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, my, my wife lost her mind. I don't know where we were. I think we were in Taiwan. I'm not sure. We were somewhere in Asia because an Asian man thought it was totally socially appropriate to pick up my son in the airport as a total stranger and begin accosting him and rubbing his head. And, and he felt like it was just weird, you know? And, and all of a sudden, right, my wife's a six. Yeah. We should not be here. We're, we're terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be fair, I think the uh, Korean gentleman was intoxicated. Yeah. <laughs> so to be fair, to be fair, yeah, but he just <laughs> scooped up my six-year-old son and yeah. starts moving in another direction and rubbing his head because he believes culturally yeah. that's appropriate because we're a minority in that situation. Yeah. And it's very, very intimidating to be in a culture where you where you are not like everybody else. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I just implore every white person in America to fly into Dar Salaam in Tanzania. One of these kids is not like the other. And right. I mean you. <laughs> stand out mm-hmm. and, and you only get that experience when you're an extreme minority and, yeah. and, you, and you sense what it means to need the majority to love you, yeah. to care for you, to want the best for you, to not harm you, to not rip you off because you stand out. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what is the demographics of black people in America? 12%? 13%. 13%. right? So they are a minority. I mean, if you're Hispanic, I think you're now 25%. So, um, you know, black people still represent a very, very small minority in this country, and and it's and our and our and our history, right? That's why we don't need to talk about Ireland because we're not Ireland, we're America, um, and you know, America's been pretty bad to every race, right. uh, you know, as they've come over. Right. And if you don't believe me, read some of the speeches Woodrow Wilson gives um, about you know the immigrants coming from Eastern Europe and yeah. and those mm-hmm. big concerns. Oh, and yeah. so um, it's just really, really dark. Our you know our history is really, really dark. Our, our goal of all men are created equal is, you know, that ideal is beautiful, but the reality has been really ugly. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we need to have this conversation. You know, our black communities are struggling because historically it's been harder for them. Mm -hmm. It it has. And so they are economically oppressed. They are, um, I mean, there are difficulties that they have faced that no other group has faced. And so we need to figure out how can we, uh, begin to help and and speak into that and 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 be a part of helping these communities not be impoverished, not generation after generation, uh, you know, be stuck in uh, this this poverty cycle. And, and what can we do to help them? And 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 the last thing we can do is it, pretend it's not a problem. That's yeah. not helpful. Right. And so if you're a Christian, you know, and and Dex offended you with, you know, Black Lives Matter. Black lives do matter. Period. You, it's we don't need to say, of course they do. Yeah. All lives matter. We don't need you know, stop playing political tennis. And so, right, we don't need to hit the ball back. Of course they matter. And we can we can resonate and sit in that statement and everybody's gonna be okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because black people do matter and they matter to God, they matter to Jesus and they should matter to you. And they are facing some extraordinary problems that have some historical reasons. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, a, there's a history behind there. And that doesn't mean that, um, you know, black people don't have a part to play in the healing. Of course they do, but, 
they've had to overcome way, way, way. I mean, it's not, it's not even comparable. And so we can't ignored, ignored, ignore <laughs> uh, this avalanche of evidence that suggests, man, that we need, we need to, we need to step in here and, and be compassionate and, and concerned and and help really, really a grieving uh, part of our American culture that's beautiful, wonderful, amazing, and uh, help them heal. Um, and, and a big part of that is, is, is just saying Black Lives Matter. They do, right. period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and without the pressure of any affiliation yeah. or activities and all that sort of stuff going forward, making that statement is a big deal because what we can't do is fix the past, right? Mm-hmm. Which just that feeling in and of itself is a feeling of hopelessness. But we can approach the future with hope. Right, we can be a generation of people that makes it different for the next generation. Right, makes it different for kids, Amen. creates new opportunities, just desensitizes the issue. It's the thing that I love, you know, with our, our kids and the people that they're exposed to, and your, you know, every, everybody's mm. family is both represented here, and a lot of the staff and uh, and even people not at our church is they run into those relationships with their arms wide open without a sense that race is an issue yeah. at all. And they're able to both celebrate it, understand it, not be affected by it, learn things from it, you know, have things rub off on them, which is just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, and that's, you know, my hope as I go forward, as I look to the future, yeah, we've been stained by the past mm-hmm. and there are systems in place that have yeah. frustrated people groups, you know, left and right. But the future is something that we can adjust and change mm-hmm. and tweak and make better. And if we can both respond to each other with that sense, mm-hmm. let's know that you know we're, we're going to probably have some rough patches. But let's let's commit to each other to bear through those things and move forward. Yeah. Then it ends up being you know a better place. And that I think is the the one of the things that is frustrating about being a minority is. Time and time again, that hope gets crushed mm. by mm. the reality of now. Mm. That's what Charlottesville was, mm. was a crushing of hope. That's what every act of racism, every every time you see a march or or, or you have some big, huge, you know, e- even, you know, uh, police shootings and that sort of stuff. You can, you can go through the details of the case. I'm telling you from an emotional standpoint, mm. it rattles that sense of hope mm-hmm. that maybe the future is not going to be mm. better because we keep you know, having this, these present moments. Mm. But what we do have to do is hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is the thing that relationships do is it gives you more ammo in the hope side. If I have these great relationships and like, I know, you know, so many uh, amazing police officers uh, here at the church who serve with us and I love talking to them and they're, you know, just great people. And that has undone the reality that I got robbed by cops uh, in mm-hmm. Inglewood. One of my first paychecks, when I was 16 years old got pulled over by cops, went through my wallet, chucked my wallet back at me, got in the car and drove off. Yeah. All the cash was gone. That's history. The future is, man, I love the guys that are yeah. here. And, and, and that, those relationships are undoing whatever yeah. stains that Yeah, and let me past. just say this. You know, for anybody who has a hard time believing that there's immoral cops, I'm just gonna say this. We've had immoral pastors at this church. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I have hired people at this church right. who have done things that I am dumbfounded by. I'm like, holy crap, literally, Mm -hmm. holy crap, you are evil. How 
Did you get through this process? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, you know, I, I think that uh, police work is the most challenging work For today sure. in our culture. Sure. And that's because our culture doesn't respect authority. And I think that police officers have a difficult job. The problem is w- when there's something where clearly a police officer has done something wrong. And, and again, they're people, yeah. which means they're sinners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, going, they're going to make mistakes. Sometimes they're evil. Sometimes they're racist. And we need to, to move forward as a culture, be able to acknowledge that and say, yep, okay, yeah. that dude's a racist mm-hmm. and he blew it. And, you know, that's terrible, awful, ugly, whatever. And it just is. And it's not a statement on all police officers. It's a statement on that sure. police officer. Yeah. And it's a statement on that situation. And, um, and again, like if you're a cop, we love you, man. I don't want to live in a city without you. For sure. So, um, but the same token is, you, you cops know they're bad cops. But right. you know, come on. Right. We, we, I mean, I, I literally meet pastors. I've met pastors, not at our church. We've had bad pastors at our church, but I've met pastors who are evil. Like, yeah. I'm like, you are, th- like, right. like there's darkness in your soul right. and you are standing up preaching the gospel. Like, right. I mean, you know, some of the most evil people I've ever met smile. Yeah, yeah. It's just, wow. Yeah. And so just understand that. So it takes relationships with people to keep the door open for classes of people, right? I have relationships with cops, which means I haven't written off all cops. I have a relationship with whites, with blacks, with Hispanics, Mm. with whatever. So I haven't written everybody off. Why? Well, because I've got this relationship that keeps that door open. and it's effort, it's work, it's it's humility, mm-hmm. and it's being wrong, and it's it's needing grace, mm-hmm. and it's trying to give. It's all of that sort of stuff are the only things that will keep all of us from closing the door and writing off a group of people mm-hmm. is having those relationships that require that work. Mm. Man, well, we have not tackled any of the submitted questions yet, so I think Yay. it's a good place to push pause, and then we will come <laughs> back. And next week, we're going to tackle all of these questions. Um, this has been awesome. We didn't tackle one question. We tackled all the intro questions. Uh, we're going to do the people's I questions. Dex. <laughs> Sorry. All right, so if you guys want to get some more resources from this conversation, which I know probably went by a lot faster than you thought it was going to, True. we'll have yeah. all these up on our show notes at debrief.show slash 80. And do not worry, we will have all of the answers to your questions. I had such high hopes for this episode. Oh, it's going to it's gonna get better. This episode was great. It's good. It was yeah. a good one. We're about to get even better. Exactly. It was all me. I'll all right, well, <laughs> hey, if you want to support the show, please do so. We are super grateful for all of you guys who support Seattle's Church and help us produce the podcast, this kind of stuff. You can text give debrief to 951-900-4120, and then we will see you right back here next week for episode 81. We know we never close the show in prayer. You pray yeah. for our church. Dex, would you close us yeah, in prayer sure. from this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. God, we're grateful for you. Let's let, let us not lose sight of the fact that you are our redeemer, that you are our God, that you love us tremendously, and that there's hope for each and every one of us. And we ask God that we could be people who would better reflect your heart for the world, that we would do that in relationships, that mm-hmm. we would do that uh, uh, in, 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 in casual conversation, that we would do that in our marriages, that we would mm-hmm. do that in our relationships with our family and our friends and our kids and all of that sort of stuff. And that's work because we are not you. We're fallen, we're broken, we're damaged goods. But by the power of the work that Christ did on the cross, Jesus, you put us back together again. So that's our prayer. Do that. Put us together. Put us together as individuals. Put us together uh, in our uh, relationships. Put us together as a culture, as a country, uh, as a world. God, put us back together again. And let us be the kind of people who are willing to do the hard work uh, to hopefully see uh, that happen. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.